0: Alrighty, well, as I said, turn to your Bibles to 1 Peter, and we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 7 to 12. I'm going to start, though, with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the word that you've given us. Um, I thank you so much for the biblical authors who wrote these words down, and for Peter, and the story of his life that we have in the Bible of one who uh, ran from you, denied you, and then found forgiveness. And uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would just open our eyes afresh to hear from you and from your word this morning. Lord, it's a challenging word from Peter. And I, I ask that you would just um, that it wouldn't crush us, but by your spirit it would spur us on to greater love for the Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, I thank you so much for each one here and each one who may watch later. And I pray that your holy Spirit would be working in their hearts, stirring up greater faith in Jesus. Work in my mouth, I pray may I speak clearly and helpfully. if there's anything I've written or thought of that's not helpful, may I. Move over it, forget it, Lord. I just pray that you would, you would be clear to to our hearts and to our minds this morning in Jesus' name, Amen. Alrighty, so before we dive into these verses in First Peter chapter three, I want to take a minute to remind you uh, that Peter, leading up to this section in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's been spending a lot of time talking about our identity as Christians and our hope as Christians, right? Who we are as God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, his children. And we have a hope that's imperishable, unspoiled, unfading, that can't be taken away from us. And it's not something we earned. It's been given to us by grace. And so we th- that's who we are. And Peter um Peter is is talking all about our identity. Now in the section of the letter that we've been on for the past couple weeks, Peter has been focusing on how Christians, those who have the identity of a Christian, are to live, are to act. And in the section that we've been going through in 1st Peter the end of 2 and 1st Peter 3, what Peter is not saying it's important to know that Peter is not saying that you earn the status of being a Christian by living the way he describes. Let's say that again. He's not saying if you want to be a Christian, then you you earn the status of child of God by working hard and being good. That's not what he's saying. If only I could be a child of God, I've got to work extra hard to get there. No, he's saying if you have become a child of God by faith in the son of God, this is how you will live. And if you're not living that way, you will repent constantly, like the Christian life is a constant turning from sin to Jesus. And so this is a passage filled with a call for how we are to live as Christians, but know that Peter is not saying this is a way to earn being a Christian. Okay. But if you are a Christian, these calls that Peter is giving will push you, inspire you to live like a true son or daughter of the King. So, um, there's another thing I want to mention before diving into these verses. Peter is writing this letter to Christians who are going through a lot of really hard things. And specifically, they're going through some persecution from people for following Jesus. And they feel, these Christians, like they're not at home in the world. We talked a lot about that in chapter one. They feel like they're exiles, strangers. It's like the world thinks differently and acts differently than them. The world has different hopes and different goals, different ways of viewing money and sex and time and work. The world is is, is different and, and, and the Christians feel like they don't have a homeland and their lives are filled with suffering. And when you're suffering as a Christian, one of the things that becomes really precious, especially when you feel like your life is falling apart, is prayer. Prayer tastes even sweeter when we are in trouble. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is talking to God and the true Christian is the one who talks to God and knows that he is heard. He knows that God hears him. like My daddy hears me. He hears my prayer. Listen to the words of King David, someone who knew that God heard him. Psalm 4 verse 3. He says, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So according to this psalm, and according to Peter, how can a person know that his or her prayers are being being heard? Well, you can know for sure that God hears your prayers if you have a relationship with him, if you're his child. A good dad listens to his kids, right? listens to his kids. So in this psalm, if you're a godly one, one who belongs to God and seeks to follow him, then you you can know God. God hears you know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Do you want God to listen to your prayers, especially when you're going through hard things? Walk closely with him. Sin breaks our relationship with the father. It gets in the way of our communication with the Father. That should make sense, right? I mean, kids, think about it. When you're disobeying Daddy and Mommy, or you're doing something you know that your Daddy and Mommy don't want you to do, it's or when you're being disciplined, is it harder to talk to Mommy and Daddy? Yeah. When, when we're running from God with our lives, it's harder to talk to Him to feel close. And tragically, if we continue in that rebellion as Christians, we may show that we never truly were his children. That's serious. So let's look now at 1 Peter. I just kinda wanted to set the stage for what we're gonna be talking about. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses seven to 12, starts by addressing husbands. And I'll just say, there's a lot of us that aren't husbands, okay? So as you hear me talk about husbands, pray for the husbands you know, that they would embody the things that we're learning. Don't just sit here and say, well, this doesn't fit, this isn't about me. No, we're a family. So we wanna root for our family. And so root for the husbands that you do know, and myself included, that we would rise to this, that uh, Peter is calling us to. So likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered finally all of you have unity of mind sympathy brotherly love a tender heart and a humble mind do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling but on the contrary bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing for Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the the sermon this morning, we've got two main points. The first is we'll look at the path to answered prayer for husbands. The path to answer prayer for husbands. That's verse 7. And the second thing we'll look at is the path to answer prayer for all Christians. Verses 8 to 12. So, just so you see the theme of prayer in this passage right from the start, I just want you to look at verse uh, 7 and verse 12. So, glance at verse 7. You see the word prayer there? And then verse 12 both instances we see that there's a certain way of living that either hinders prayer or helps prayer and there's a path that the ensures that the lord hears your prayer in verse verse 12. so first point one the path to answered prayer for husbands the path to answered prayer likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that, here's the purpose, your prayers may not be hindered. So here in this passage, uh, Peter gives three things that husbands are supposed to do that ensures that our prayers to the Lord are not hindered. It's stopped. First, we're to know what God calls us to in marriage. Literally, verse 7 reads, Husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. Your translation might have what I read earlier in an understanding way. Um, That's what the NIV says. Um, A way that understands your wives. That's kind of what they're trying to get at. Um, If you're a husband, you should know your wife. Well, that's true. Like, if you're a husband, you should always be trying to get to know your wife better. But I don't think that's what this passage is talking about here. What I think Peter is saying is he wants you to live with your wives according to knowledge—knowledge knowledge that he's about to explain, knowledge of how God wants you to live. Don't live like an ignorant person who doesn't really know how God wants him to treat his wife. He just—well, I just do what my dad did. My dad called my, his mom. My dad called my mom an old ball and chain, so that's what I call my mom. My dad called her the old lady or the. The witch or whatever you know so that's what my friends talk about their wives behind their back so i talk about my wife bad behind her back i grumble about it. you know don't do it according to just anyway do it according to knowledge what knowledge well what god wants you to know how god wants you to treat your wife and here's the knowledge this is god's path for marriage and that's the second thing that peter would have a C here in verse seven. Peter says husbands are to show honor to their wives as the weaker vessel. Now, last week, Brian preached from verses one to six of 1 Peter three, and he explained how husbands have God-given authority over their wives in a marriage relationship. Somebody has to be the leader. And the way that God has set up society is that we have leaders in every sphere right um and in marriage we have leaders like parents are leaders of their kids together right would you agree that that's a good thing that kids don't lead themselves right well what happens when a husband and wife they're supposed to be a team but what happens when they disagree well if it's not a moral issue at the end of the day someone needs to lead and god has said the way that is, is it's is, is, is the men who lead. We, Brian talked all about that last week. If you missed the sermon, or for those of you who are watching online, if you haven't heard that sermon, I encourage you, it's on Facebook. Um, listen to that. It's really important. But here, what Peter is doing now is is explaining in verse 7 how husbands are to use their God-given authority. You're the authority. You're the leader. So how do you use it? you show honor. We show honor to people, to our wives, and we show honor. We, we show honor to things in life that we, we view as extremely valuable, right? You honor something you see as valuable. If something's worthy of honor, it's worthy of me cherishing, prizing, protecting. Like if you honor something, you protect it, right? Um, you don't want it's name to be dragged through the mud like if you honor a sports team you might get a little worked up if somebody's bad mouthing the coach no he's an honorable guy um all right that might be debatable but but we honor our wives as the weaker vessel peter says now in our day and age those are those could be fighting words right is the Bible saying I'm weak? Whoa, how outdated and antiquated. What, how, what a sexist thing to say, Peter. What's going on here? Well, there's been many different uh, Bible teachers over the years um, who have, have kind of read a lot into this saying. They've thought maybe it's because women are more naturally like spiritually weak than men or emotionally weak my wife's all over the place emotionally you know i'm steady but yeah what what's what's going on here is, is are women naturally more weak I, I i think holly's got a tougher pain tolerance than i do i've watched the woman give birth to four kids all right i don't want to do that that's hard um so what what is what is what is peter saying well I think this is, you know, my my best understanding of this is that Peter is saying what every scientist knows. Men are biologically stronger than women on average, right? I mean, men are stronger. The strongest man will always be stronger than the strongest woman. Because science. <laughs> like, if you disagree with that, you disagree with biology. I mean, that's just the way that it... Is and God is telling husbands they ought to use their power and their authority and their strength to serve their wives and to show honor to their wives and to protect their wives as valuable treasures worthy of dignity and honor and respect. Few things are more twisted and evil in our world when strength is used to harm and not protect. This doesn't mean that if a man happens to marry a girl who is stronger than he is, that uh, the verse doesn't apply to him or that he should somehow be ashamed because he married a wife that's just really strong. Or, you know, personally, I know a, I know a man who has um, MS in a, in a highly developed stage, right? And he, he's not as strong as his wife is in the physical area, right? And yet... What would God have him to do? God would want him to use the strength, his masculine strength that he does have, whatever it might be, verbal strength. The kids know when dad enters the room and speaks his voice, right? Uh, Use his strength, the God-given strength he does have as a man to serve and protect and honor and cherish his wife. Strength used to serve so to summarize what we've seen so far husbands if you want if we want god to hear our prayers then we must live with our wives in a way that is not ignorant of what god calls us to do and god calls you and i to honor honor our wives in a way that is not ignorant a great example of this is jesus christ remember What Jesus calls the church, the Bible calls the church his bride. We're like the bride of Jesus, the wife of the lamb. And how does Jesus speak of the church? In the Bible, right? And even in Peter, we're his treasured possession back in chapter one. Valuable. He gave his life for his bride, even when we were sinful. I'm not going to treat her as honorable. She's worthless. She's evil. Jesus paid for our sin, even when we were sinful, and showed us love and forgiveness, even when we fail. Jesus's love covers our failings. And the third thing to see in verse seven is that Peter wants husbands to remember that their wives are co-heirs of the grace of life. A wife might not be as physically strong as a husband. But she is going to inherit the gift of life in the new creation, right alongside her husband. Men do not enter the kingdom of God first together. Both men and women will inherit the promise of life. Remember how Peter talked about the inheritance chapter one, verses three to four in his great mercy, he has given us as men and women new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. The the you here, it includes men and women. Right? In the ancient world, it was the oldest son of the family who would inherit all the dad's stuff. That's just the way it worked. If you were a daughter, if you were a youngest son, you didn't get it if you were the oldest son the firstborn son well in christianity the firstborn son of god has inherited the universe things in heaven and things on earth whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things were made by him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the church and you know firstborn among the dead so that an All things he might have the supremacy. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. And he, by his resurrection from the dead, has inherited the new creation. He's the king. And as the firstborn son of God who has inherited the universe, he will share it with his brothers and sisters, with his family. So we in Jesus together will be like firstborn sons. We are his firstborn children. We are sons and daughters of the promise. And we will inherit the new creation. This is good news. And so these are the things that Peter wants you to know. Your wife is equal to you. Treat her with honor. She's going to inherit the new creation with you. And you need to know this. Don't be ignorant. Treat our wives honorably, not dishonorably. You cannot... Draw close to the Father with your mouth in prayer while you despise his word and mistreat his daughter in your heart and with your life. That's what Peter's point is. And I'll say that again. You cannot draw close to the Father in prayer if you mistreat his daughter in your heart and with your life. Your prayers will be hindered. The Father will not hear them is serious stuff how we live and how we treat other people made in god's image is reflective of our relationship with god himself not just as husbands though but for all of us and if our relationship with god is broken our prayers will be broken too the lord hears the prayer of the godly one and that's the point of the next section we'll look at The Path to Answered Prayer for All Christians, verses 8 to 12, and I'll read these. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So once again, there's three main things that I want you to see under this section in these five verses. First, I want to look at verse 8. And we'll examine the mindset of the Christian. The mindset. You'll see the word mind show up twice, depending on your translation in that verse. The mindset of the Christian. Second, we'll look at verse 9. We'll talk about the lifestyle of the Christian. And then third, finally, we'll look at verses 10 to 12. And we'll see how Peter quotes there from Psalm 34, which we read earlier. Um, And he tries to, to motivate us to live righteously the motivation for living like Jesus and living in a way that will have our prayers answered. So ultimately, the idea is that we receive blessing from the Lord and the precious knowledge that he listens to our prayers if we live the way he calls us to live. So first, the mindset of the Christian who can enjoy the blessing of knowing God hears his prayer. Verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, that's the word mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Say so the word mind twice, it's like a sandwich. Five adjectives that describe qualities that should characterize everyone who follows Jesus and claims to be a part of, of Jesus's family. So I'll list each one and explain it. We'll list the first and the last one first and then we'll tackle the middle ones unity of mind we as christians should be those who strive for unity in all things that doesn't mean we try to be clones of each other doesn't mean that because i like hunting brian should go hunting or i like uh brian likes biking and i should go bike I mean, unity of mind doesn't mean you're like robots no it means that all of us unite our minds on one common goal live and love like jesus with all the uniqueness of who we are we want to live and love each other like jesus serve each other like jesus pray for each other speak like jesus follow jesus and when we do these things it will unite us well have a bee. (laughs) and now look at the last thing peter says i think that bee showed up last week too he likes me hopefully it doesn't sting me The last word has the word mind as well we are to have a humble mind pride is the enemy of unity in every sphere of life do you want to be really good friends with somebody who's really really proud and just exudes pride not not usually not usually christians we are to strive for humility in all things We don't boast about our achievements and put ourselves on pedestals. And we don't look down on others for not being as good as we think we are. Now we could talk about what it means to have a humble mind for a long time, but we preached all about it in Philippians chapter two, having a humble mind is ultimately having a mind like Jesus that seeks the good of others above our own. that puts others first. strive for humility in all things Peter talks about this a little later so we'll dial we'll delve into this deeper in a in a few weeks but first Peter 5 verse 5 Peter tells us to put humility on like clothing he says you know you get dressed in the morning I want you to think about this when you get dressed tomorrow you're putting your clothes on think clothe yourselves with humility all of you he says 1 Peter 5, verse 5, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is against the proud. In our text today, this grace that God gives the humble, it is the gracious blessing of answered prayer. We'll see that in verse 12. It is those who are humble in mind who will receive from God the knowledge he hears me. He hears me. But his ears are closed to the proud because deep down they think they deserve to be heard. They think that they've earned God's ear. They cry out to him because they think they're worthy of being heard. You should listen to me, God. I'm good. I'm better. I've worked harder than other people. I I deserve you to do what I want. But no, God hears the cry of the humble, like the tax collector in the gospel, who beats his chest and cries out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God hears that prayer. So We're not talking about perfection here. It's not the perfect person that hears, that God hears. It's the godly person, the person who thinks of himself like God thinks of him, which is you're a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus. You have ever reason to be humble and zero reason to be proud in the Christian life. So we looked at the first and the last quality. Humble mind. Unity of mind. And both of them sandwich in between them three qualities. And these three more adjectives who are describing, what they're describing who we as Christians are to be. You see that there in verse 8? And in the very middle of the all five of them see five if I hold up five fingers there's a there's a middle one the very middle of the adjectives is like the one that usually um when when you set up a list like this with two similar ones on the outside like a sandwich uh the biblical writers do this um it's called a chiasm and the middle is the most important I mean come on you have a beef sandwich what is the most important The bread or the beef right so in the middle it's the most important biblical authors use this all the time and at the middle brotherly love is at the heart of what should characterize christians we want to love each other this means we want what's best for other people both in the family and in the church and in our workplaces christians are characterized by a deep family-like love for each other and for others We'll work and labor for what is best for other people. And as we do, we'll be characterized by the other two things around the the brotherly love that Peter lists, sympathy and a tender heart or compassion. When we sympathize with somebody, we listen to them. We seek to hear and understand what they're saying. That doesn't mean we agree with everything they say. But it does mean that we see how they could think something. We try to see where they're coming from. I could never see how you could think that. Well, people have reasons for what they think. They might be terrible reasons, but the sympathetic person listens and tries to understand, and if you're going to critique them or speak truth, you do it sympathetically. I see, I hear what you're saying, you're wrong. You can do that sympathetically, but we are sympathetic. We want to listen, be tender hearted, compassionate. Now, there is a danger trying to love by being sympathetic and compassionate. We might start to minimize bad things people do by saying, oh, I see how you could be doing that. Um, one of the things I've seen, and I won't name names, but I, I have seen, um, you know, people who call themselves Christians, uh, some some, uh, you know, secular media as well, saying, you know, you see these people doing terrible things like burning down buildings and rioting all over our country, and I'm sympathetic. This is the language of pain. Do you do you see? they they're just expressing how bad they've been hurt okay and 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 you just have to have sympathy towards that well we can listen and understand like they're they're in pain okay there's pain there and we we can we can try to hear like you know what what they're trying to say and be good listeners and sympathetic and compassionate like what, how we can say what happened to George Floyd and many many other examples of, of brutality on our police force. Yeah, th- we condemn that. We can we can say that, but we can also as Christians reserve the right to speak truth and love and say what you are doing, burning a building is wrong. It's evil and you need to stop. okay Evil uh, you know it, you can never like Paul says, should we do evil that good may result? No. Evil means never justify good ends. You want to bring change? Don't do evil. We'll get a, get into that here in a minute. So you can affirm someone is hurting and still strongly condemn the evil ways that they're acting out in their pain. You know, you can tell somebody who's abusing their children, I understand you were hurt as a child. But the way you're hurting your children is evil. And yet... All right, so so I find myself here in the notes. All right. We show compassion to people as Christians. We show love. Ultimately, what is our motivation as Christians? It's because we have been shown kindness and compassion and love by God. A love that we did not deserve and could never have earned compassionate people are people who realize they've been shown compassion and kindness now let's look at verse 9 here Peter outlines for us the lifestyle of the Christian there is a way of living that all Christians are called to that is utterly unnatural and foreign to what comes naturally to us right and it's the way of Jesus and thus the way of the Christian 1 Peter 3 verse 9 do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult on the contrary listen to this repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that here's your motivation you may inherit a blessing what is the blessing we inherit in the letter of first peter well we've already talked about it it's the inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. That's what we're called to. So think about what happens when someone hurts you with words. You get hurt by what somebody said. Have you ever been hurt by what somebody said? Maybe I'm more sensitive than other people, but I get hurt by what people say, okay? Some people, I don't care what people say about me. I don't know. Well, maybe it's because you stopped caring after a while because you were hurt so many times. What's the temptation, though, when we are hurt by what people say? We're tempted to throw angry words back. All of us. And so often you walk away feeling good, don't you? Okay? I told them. I said what was right, you know? You see? And you walk away seething with a righteous anger. Ooh. You know, this, this great feeling, but does it ever fix the problem of evil? Not usually it only perpetuates what has often been called a cycle of violence. We do this most often with words as humans, but you know, an extreme example would be what's going on in many of our inner cities in this nation. Gangs, especially perpetuate violence with guns. Someone has a beef. They call it a beef. I've got a beef with you, and you swiped my Nikes. So I'll shoot you. I mean, it's seriously little things like that. What are, why are all people, why are the shootings happening in Chicago so often? It's as simple as one kid stole another kid's Nikes. He picks up the gun, shoots that kid. Well, all his friends pick up their guns and go shoot. The kid that shot the kid, but they miss and shoot his sister and his then the whole family starts shooting. I mean, it's a cycle of violence and it never will stop. So how do you stop the cycle? Well, naturally, we feel like we'll stop hurting them when we feel like we've made them pay for what they said or what they did. I'll stop when I feel like I've hurt you enough. I've made you pay enough. But they won't agree on what you think is enough. <laughs> that's part of the problem. And, and the reality is enough is never enough. And that's where Christianity is so different. We refuse as Christians. We fight to refuse, sometimes we fail. We fight to refuse to pay evil back with evil. Instead, we bless. And that stops the cycle of violence dead in its tracks. It's how we seek to bring back the blessing of Genesis chapter 1 that was lost to the human race. This is what we were saved for to bless the world, to bring the blessing of hope and of the gospel to the world. This doesn't mean that crimes should not be punished by proper authorities I'm not arguing that the government should not bear the sword for the good of society that's a whole different sermon Romans 13 is in the Bible for a reason but it does mean that as individuals we do not seek to be the judge and the jury and the executioner of crimes that are done to us we leave room for the vengeance of God he will make all evildoers pay in the end he'll either sweep their sins under the cross if they trust jesus or he will make their sins be paid for by them in hell so please remember that i'm preaching to myself as well next time you want to make someone pay for what they said or what they did Know that if they are a Christian, the Lord Jesus paid for their sins, just like he paid for yours. Pray they repent. Pray they ask for forgiveness for their sins. But don't try to hurt them for sins Jesus died to pay for. Remember the cross. He's paying for their sins as he's hanging there. Do you need to make them pay by the way you treat them? And if they don't know Jesus, pray that they come to know him because they will pay for their sins in hell. And it's a terrible thing. Separation from God for rebelling against him and breaking his rules is far, far worse than a beef with you. We're all born with a beef against God. And that's why Jesus went to the cross, to pay for our debts so that we don't have to face his judgment. But one day he will come and it will be over. No, we don't want to wish hell on anyone. We pray for those who persecute us like Jesus taught us. We pray that they would come to know the blessing of forgiveness through Jesus. Don't wish hell on anyone. Don't wish the hell that you were saved from on someone that hurts you to this you are called bless and what do we get out of the deal blessing that you may receive verse 9 a blessing from the lord which leads back to the final thing to see in these verses the motivation for the christian and ultimately this leads to the main point of verses 8 to 12 the motivation is that you get the blessing of knowing the lord is for you not against you and that he hears your prayers verses 10 to 12 I'll read. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. These, these verses they come from Psalm 34 in the Old Testament that Brian or, uh, that Andrew read earlier and Peter is trying to use his Old Testament verses to motivate us to live the true Christian life. And here in these verses we see there's there's two ways to live. One is the way of the righteous. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of the Christian who's been saved from their sins, is pursuing the Lord and seeking to live and love like Jesus, but the other is the way of the one who does evil the one who does evil is characterized here by deceitful speech their lives are not ruled by the light of truth their tongue traffics in evil instead of using their tongue to love others and to spread peace their tongue their tongue dumps gasoline on conflict they don't seek peace with their actions they make war the lord is against those who seek to live this way his face is against them but the other way to live is the way of christian discipleship we turn from evil and we pursue good have you ever pursued something have you ever tried to chase someone down like maybe you needed to tell someone something and you're just chasing them down gary i know the story that gary's raising (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, pursue well we are to pursue peace to seek peace and pursue it as far as it is possible as much as it depends on us we seek to live at peace with everyone and because it's ultimately because we want to enjoy the blessing of good days the good days the psalmist talks about in the new creation to come is because we want to enjoy the face the lord and feel his smile and know his prayer our prayers are being heard by him so as we close here i just want you to think carefully about this how many people in our world today pray a lot of lot of people right a lot of people pray most people i think throw prayers from time to time but the bible would say here That if you're not following Jesus, if you're not truly walking in the way of peace, if you're not pursuing truth and love and humility and compassion in all of life, not perfectly, but truly pursuing it, like that's your heart because you've been born again, then the face of the Lord is against you. That is a really sobering message. Your prayers are hindered. We can't soften the words of Peter in verse 12. He's quoting from the scriptures. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Those who are trusting in Jesus and pursuing Jesus and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God's ear is closed to our prayers if our hearts are closed to his kingly rule. I'll say that again. God's ears are closed to our prayers if our hearts are closed to his kingly rule. You can't live a life of overall rebellion against the Lord and his ways, a life that rejects his son and expect that your prayers are being heard or that you'll experience the joy of his presence and the warmth of knowing he's for you not against you. No, the face of the Lord is against the evil. So I want to read what what, what should be our response. James, a friend of Peter's, one of the disciples writes this. James chapter four, verses seven to eight. He says, submit yourselves then to God. A Christian life is a constant turning from sin in submission to the authority of oh God. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8, come near to God, and he will draw near to you. You want to feel the closeness of the Lord? Turn and pursue him, and he will draw near. He's not far from any of us, as Paul says. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded means you, you're split in your mind. Uh, do I want to follow Jesus or do I want to follow this way or that way? Be single-minded. Purify your hearts. Single-minded devotion. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If you're feeling like God is distant, there's various reasons that that could be. Um, it's not always because we're living in sin. Sometimes God let's us go through a period where he feels distant because he wants us to reach and cry out to him in the darkness but i guarantee you there is one thing that will make us feel distant from the lord every time without fail it's walking in disobedience every time that's why the lord says draw near to god and he will draw near to you submit yourselves to him and he will exalt you humble him and he will humble yourselves and he will exalt you the ear of the lord is attentive to the prayer of the one who pursues him who seeks to forgive as he has been forgiven who seeks to love as he has been loved, who refuses to repay evil with evil, but remembers that evil will be paid for either at the cross or in hell. And so we are free. We can stop the cycle of violence. And as husbands, those of you who are husbands, remember how we treat our wives will affect our prayer lives. This is amazing that Peter goes here. It's a big deal. Who is the closest image bearer in your life, if you're a husband? It's your wife. And if you love the image of God right next to you, then that's a reflection on your love for the Father. And if you fail to love the image bearer who's closest to you, then you will be distant from the Father. So my prayer for all of us is that we would hear this as a wake-up call to draw near to the Lord, to purify our hearts by faith, Drawing near, remembering our sins are forgiven because of jesus to pursue afresh with new zeal the god who saved us let's pray father i thank you so much for the message of peter i thank you for the gift of prayer i thank you that you hear us father if any of us here today or any who are tuning in and listening have felt distant from you have felt like you're far away God, I pray that you would help them discern in their hearts. I know I have been here before, Lord. Discern in their hearts if it's just a season they're going through or is it because they have started to walk away or have walked away. Father, I pray that for all of us, regardless of where we are, we would lift our eyes to you, that we would pursue you That we would draw near to you. That we would seek to live with humble minds and hearts. That we would seek to walk in love. That we would speak peace to our neighbors and to our enemies and to our families and friends. That we would be a people devoted to ending cycles of violence with blessing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.